And yet, our prayers are, are huge. I think once we get to heaven, we're going to find out just how important our prayers were when we were here. And our, our uh, uh, and just our, our praying for people and praying for the things that, that care about us and that God cares about. I think we'll find that out. So today we're going to start Nehemiah, the Jerusalem Project, Lesson 3. And so last week, I know, last week we were kind of down in numbers. And uh, I spent most of the time just reviewing chapter 1 and chapter 2, so you already have all the information from last week. But I really focused last week on, you know, everybody believes, well, Nehemiah, he's the guy that went back to Jerusalem and he built the walls back up. But that was just a small part of what Nehemiah did. So when you study the the Israelites, when they went to, um, when they were carried away captive to Babylon... And then ended up in Persia and then that main region over there. Um, they did that because they had rejected God and God allowed that to happen. And so when they started to come back, as told in the Bible, under Cyrus the king, even, even God puts it in Daniel, the name of the king that's going to allow them to go back way before it ever happened. So I'm like, what do you do with that? Well, you, you got to believe the Bible is true because everything in this book comes comes about before it ever happens. And so they started to come back, and they come back basically in three waves. They come back with the first wave under Zerubbabel, and you'll see that in the book of Ezra. And then they come back with Ezra, another wave of them come back. And then there's a third wave that comes back with Nehemiah, but it's a really small group that comes with Nehemiah. The the main two forces came with the other two men, but yet when you go back and study everything, it's like it's not till Nehemiah gets there and he puts everything back in order. It's like they didn't have everything under under Zerubbabel. They didn't have everything put in order under Ezra. But when Nehemiah gets there, he must crack the whip or something because he gets things back rolling the way it should have been. And yet it, he goes back to Jerusalem two times. And so as we study the book, he goes back once and then he comes back to, to the king Cyrus or not Cyrus, the Artaxerxes, I believe, at that time. And then he goes back again because I think he realizes that his job wasn't finished building. So he's a builder, but the first half of the book, it talks about he's building physical things. The second half of the book, he's going back to build the people because they're not doing what's right. And he needs to get them back in the heart of worship, basically, is what I want to say. So uh, that's kind of what I talked about last week. I made a big effort on that. And so uh, we're just going to continue to go forward this week with the rest of the chapter. And so I just wanted to lay that groundwork that uh, this is a this is a big deal when Nehemiah goes back to get things put in order. And if you notice going through the book of Nehemiah, this guy is like he has everything planned out. He has an answer for everything it seems like. It's like he has just he's in tune with God and God has him on a mission. And it kind of reminds me of one of our pastors here, and I won't tell you who it is, his whole name, but his first name is Brian. And he plans everything out. <laughs> He's like got a seven-year plan for the, for, the, for the church. He had a 49-year plan. He okay, so he I haven't heard, seen that, but a 49-year plan. When we first started yeah. the church, he had a 49-year plan. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I know he's into seven-year plans, and he's into that, and so he's in another, I think, the second seven-year plan. And so he plans stuff out, and I love that about him. 
But I'm like, Nehemiah, you'll find, is the same way. It's like he plans everything out. He has an answer for everything. You know, sometimes those people drive me nuts. You know? It's like, here I am running by the seat of my pants and this guy has planned out what he's wearing three weeks from today and what shoes. You know? <laughs> and some of these preachers that preach, they come up there and they may have the whole book planned out and they've got what they're going to do on what day and they've got this and that. That's not me. Again, I'm almost flying by the seat of my pants. I'm lucky just to have that lesson done. But So sometimes they really irk me. But at the same time, it's like I, I kind of am just awed by them. And Nehemiah is one of those type of guys. And so uh, you have your hand out. Let me just kind of read through the first statement here. It says, Nehemiah, upon learning of the condition of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, was extremely moved. Not only was Nehemiah concerned about the physical condition of the walls, but the entire condition of the city. He informed the king that he wanted to go and build it. And last week I focused on the it. The it was more than the city. It was more than the walls. It was the whole deal in Jerusalem. It was the whole economy, basically, when you look at it. And so he wanted to go back and build it. Because you notice he doesn't say the city. He says it. So what's the it there? Had to go back and look at it. And when I looked at the it, it's like it's it's everything. There was a lot of things that he saw that needed to be worked on. And so Nehemiah, like us, will find out that any rebuilding or remodel will always cost us more than we thought. Now, how many of you in here have remodeled something or rebuilt something or built a house? Okay. On a 35 year project, right? yeah. You're on a 35-year project. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you the question. Do you have it all mapped out for 35 years? No, you're like me. You're just flying by the seat of your pants, right? Okay, uh, either way, God will take. So, you know, Nehemiah, like us, will find out that any rebuilding or remodel will always cost us more than we thought, take us longer than we thought, and take more out of us than we imagined. You know, Carrie and I are still talking about getting down here, finding a house, and we're like, you know, we're kind of picky what we want. And I'm like, maybe we'll just have to build it. And I'm thinking, I'm 62 years old. 62 years old. Do I feel like building something? And how long can I stay in that house before they'll be putting me in a home? Is it worth it? So that's where I'm at right now. I'm kind of... I'm like, do I want a bigger yard than I have now? Well, I'd like to have a garden. I'd like to have this. I'd like to have that. But I'm like, each one of those takes work. I'm like, do I really want to do that? I don't know. But uh, we'll find out, I guess. But um, we've seen Nehemiah's praying. So praying goes in your first blank. And his planning. Planning goes in your second blank. So we see everything that Nehemiah does, it's like he's calculated it out and planned it. He started praying to the Lord, and during that praying, he ends up with a plan. You notice the praying started first, not the plan. The praying was first, then the plan, and his plan was, and his planning, and his request before the king and queen, which ended with their approval. Today, we're going to start looking at Nehemiah's performance. The praying and the planning put to action. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll just tell a little bit about me. Because it seems like when I use other people for an example, it always comes back and bites me. I remember once I I used a man in one of the churches I was at and I was preaching and I used him and it was a good illustration. And it was a, I thought it would build him up. 
he came to me afterwards and goes, I, I don't appreciate you putting me down. <laughs> and I'm like, so he rehearsed what he thought was a put down. And I go, I meant that, I'm sorry if you saw it that way, but I, I meant it for a put up. I, I was trying to compliment you. And not that I was in, in using him for an illustration. And I thought, well, why not use one of the, you know, the leaders in the church as a good illustration? And he came back and bit me. And I'm like, okay, so I won't do that. But you know what? When I use illustrations about myself, no matter if they're good or bad, people like it, especially if they're not real good or they're kind of funny or there's a, you know, I messed up or did something. People laugh at those. So I'll use myself for an illustration. So, uh, why I said all that, I have no idea. But anyway, <laughs> it'll come back to me. Uh, Nehemiah. Oh, I know where I was going. Uh, Nehemiah was not like a lot. How many people do you know like to say things, but they don't follow through? Sometimes that's me. Sometimes I have really good intentions, but I bomb at performing it. I don't know how many times in my life I'm like, well, I, I see I didn't do this, so I'm going to do this. And, or I'm gonna make it up to that person, or yeah, I could kinda of see I slided them, so I'm, let's do, let's do this. And a lot of times it doesn't follow through. And my wife's sitting back there probably making, yep, yeah, I got a whole list of stuff. But, but I think we're all there. But, but Nehemiah is one of the guys that when he says it, and when he's planning it, and the next thing I know, I mean, he's doing it. Okay? So he's a doer. He's a, he's a, like I said before, he's a mover and a shaker. So if you're in Nehemiah chapter 2, I'm going to read 9 through 10. We're going to just start seeing his praying and his, and his planning taking shape. And so we see some of the same things take place here. But I'm going to talk about Nehemiah's journey. Uh, but let's start in chapter 2. And I want to read 9 through 20. It says, so now he's starting to put the plan in action. Then I came to the governors beyond the river. And gave them the king's, the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, you know, the Bible is very specific. It tells you who these people are, heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly. And there was come a, that there had come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. It's interesting. Why three days? We'll come back to that. Okay, verse 12. And I arose in the night and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof, which were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So there was so much rubble, he couldn't get through. Okay? Verse 15, Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. 
Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, and how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words, which he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and the and uh, Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So we see... We see the plan start taking shape here. So in your handout, number one, I have Nehemiah's journey there in verses 9 through 10. So it's several miles between Persia, between the Mesopotamia area and back to Jerusalem. So this took him a while to get to. And I, I should have looked up the mileage, but I mean, this is, I'm thinking 900 to 1,000 miles. Okay, so it's a pretty good journey. So, in his journey, he included letters from the king, and we already knew he had gotten that from, uh, or received those from the king and the queen, and those letters had several things that we looked at the last couple weeks. Number one, it was letters to the governors of all the provinces along the way to inform them, help this man get to Jerusalem, because he's on a, basically, he has permission from the king. You know, King Artaxerxes of Persia that ruled the world at that point. He has permission from the king to go. So, not only allow him to go, but help him. Okay? And then he also had went to the the guy that owned the lumber, right? Asap, the lumber guy. He had letters for him when he saw him to give him the, the lumber that he needed. So, first of all, it included the letters from the king, an armed escort. Now, now think about this. Um 900 miles across enemy territory, uh, I'd like to have an armed force with me. And so uh, remember when uh, they sent Paul to uh, Caesarea and uh, they got him out of Jerusalem in the New Testament? And why'd they do that? Because, you know, the Jews were going to kill him. And the Romans sent a fairly good-sized army with Paul just to get him out of there. So it's kind of the same thing. He had he had letters from the king. He had an armed escort. And but what you see next here that we've seen in verses nine through ten was not only was the letters for the governors that now he's seeking them out along the way and talking to them, and they're helping him get there. So we've seen that come to pass. But then we see, you have a blank on your next line there, D, said, opposition to the plan. Oh my, how many of you are shocked that there was opposition? I don't think any of us. Because whenever you do a work for God, and I use that word that loosely, mm-hmm. whenever we do something for the Lord, it's always going to have opposition. Mm-hmm. Always. And so it's kind of like one step forward, two steps back sometimes. In, in our, when, when you, when we are witnessing the people on our salvation list, there's always going to be opposition there. You know, always. Uh, there's always opposition. And, uh, and again, I, you know, I keep telling people, you know, Satan is the God of this world. 
He hates us. When we look at our country and we're like, well, why, why is our country in a mess? Why is things going on around the world? Why, why is everything happening? So you gotta stop and realize, who's in charge right now? Satan is. Why are things going on in your life? Because there's opposition, because we have an enemy that wants to kill us. We gotta remember that. Nehemiah is starting to see opposition to the plan. Okay? And so, uh, uh, so what was the enemies opposed to when they're going back? The seeking and the, you have a blank, welfare of the Jewish people. Is that hitting home today? Yeah. The whole world's getting ready to turn against Israel. Yeah, right now, it's like there's people on both sides. Mm-hmm. But just wait, because the Bible tells us it's all going to sway yeah. against Israel. Because what's the tribulation for? It's to get Israel to wake up and go, you know what? we got to get back to God, mm-hmm. the God of our fathers. Because right now, they're not... They're not following the God of their fathers. They're, 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 they're following their leaders and they're following the people that are allies with them. And as long as the United States are allies with Israel, they're like, hey, we have a super, the world superpowers on our side. What's going to happen when we, when the United States starts going against Israel? What's going to happen when the people realize their leaders are against them? We won't be blessed anymore. Uh, well, that's true. We won't be blessed. <laughs> And so I look at that, but what's going to happen to the Israeli people when they realize they're in a, a hurt, a mess of hurt, and there's no allies for them, even their own leaders are against them, what do you think they're going to do? What do you think God's hoping they'll do? Turn, Turn back to Him. Yeah. So we got to keep that. What was the word in the blank? Uh, the word in the blank was welfare. And so, in fact, we'll just look at it. Uh, Nehemiah 2.9 says, uh, or 10, let's look at 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, heard of the plan that they were coming, that uh, not so much that they didn't know they were coming to build the wall, but they knew it had something to do to help the Jews. There was, uh, that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So basically what they're hearing is, hey, why is this dude coming from the king of Persia to Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. And he's, and they're probably figuring out that he's Jewish, so he's coming there to, to help them or check on them or do something. And he's got the king's, uh, permission to do that. So they didn't even have to, they didn't know the plan because Nehemiah is keeping it secret, right? So they didn't know it. All they knew, there's a group of people coming to Jerusalem to see the, the welfare of the people. And that was enough to get their, their, uh, 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 get them, what do I want to say? Get their blood pressure going. I had like four things coming in my brain at once and I couldn't get any of them out. You know, to get, to get them all upset. Let's put it that way. Okay. So they have opposition to the plan. Because somebody's seeking the welfare of the Jewish people. But not, so when Nehemiah arrives, let's look at that verses 11 through 16. He keeps a low profile for how many days? Three. Now why in the world did he just pick three days? And why is it in our Bible mentioned that there was three days? Because when we look at that, that is, we know that Christ was in the grave how many days? And when he rose from the grave, there was power in that resurrection. There was something connected there. Anytime you see three in the Bible, there was some connection 
to the power of the resurrection. It's always there. And so if you're a Bible student, you'll pick up on those things. Like I said, God doesn't waste any space in His book and everything in that book is there for a reason, even though we don't understand it. So He's there for three days. We could go back to Ezra chapter 3 and verse 2 and find out that Ezra, when he went back, he did the same thing. He got there and he sat down and he didn't do anything for three days. So what do you think they were doing? I think they were praying. They were probably thanking God for getting there. They were probably uh, asking for more guidance and direction. And I think he was probably taking uh, taking a look around just to see how what the situation really was. Because he had never been there. He grew up in, in Babylon and Persia. And so he's probably just checking this out. Like, well, just how much material are we going to need? So all that's probably taking place in three days. And then he takes an assessment by night. Again, why night? He's keeping it a secret. But you know of anybody else that came to Jesus at night? Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus. What? Why do you think? What did Nicodemus come to Jesus for? He just wanted to see him. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm just asking things, throwing things out. But he comes at night, you know, Nick at night, you know, he, he comes to Jesus at night. Maybe it's because there's too many people during the day. Maybe he's a Pharisee, he doesn't want people to know who it, that he came to see him. You know, all those things. But he does it at night. I just find that interesting. So when you, you see that word night in the Bible, take notice of that too. And, uh, uh, Yes, so, and, and yet the tribulation is, is mentioned as a night, a night time. So all these things, you know, a Bible believer study or you'll just see things pop out at you. And if you dig further into that, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll get more information. But he takes an assessment by night and he keeps his mission a secret. Cause I think again, he may know, he, de- he knows there's opposition out there and until he gets the time to speak his word, he doesn't let anybody know. And you know, that's probably smart. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably need, I need to learn from this guy. You know, when, when you tell people what you know when you're not quite ready, yeah. I've had, I've had times in my life that yet came back and bit me too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, um, better wait to, and, and bring the situation out a little bit farther till you're 100% sure, whatever you're gonna do. And then bring it out. That's probably a wise move on Nehemiah's part. Number three, Nehemiah's pronouncement to the leaders we see in verses 17 and 18. In fact, let's read that. And he says, And then I said unto them, You see the distress that we're in? And I'm sitting there thinking, man, he's probably just laying it out to them. Maybe almost to the point that he's, he is kind of reprimanding them. But if he does, he switches this tune real quick. Because here's what he says. He sees the distress that we are in and how that Jerusalem lieth waste. He's probably like, what is wrong with you guys? Why are the walls not built? Why is all this going on? But I don't think he's that harsh. I mean, he could have been. Because immediately after he says this, he says, "It's the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. So his response was, his pronouncement was, man, things are in a mess. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes, let's fix this. 
And so, you know, he probably knows, you know, if you, you can, what's the, the saying that you can catch more with honey? What's the saying I'm trying to think? Instead of being uh, sarcastic or nasty, you, you can catch more flies with, with honey than whatever. Vinegar. Vinegar, okay. So, I'm, I'm thinking he, he wants to, to kind of let them know that they're messed up, but at the same time, he's like, I'm gonna give you a solution. Okay, it's kind of like telling people they're going to die and go to hell because they're a sinner, which is true. But you got to give them the remedy. If you don't give them the remedy of how they can come to know Christ as their Savior, you're not getting the whole message out. But he sees he he. So he's trying to not only get them to realize, hey guys, you need to wake up. I don't think you guys realize you've been living in this so long. You don't realize the condition that you're at. Um. When, when Carrie and I, we grew up over in, in Kansas City, south side of Kansas City, and today the area that we grew up in is very rough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, kind of glad I don't live in that particular area now. And so you, we couldn't really realize it till we kind of got out of it. Okay, I had a, I had a aunt, my dad had an aunt and uncle that lived down just north of the old Sears and Roebuck off of what is that Benton. And I-70. I mean, that's a rough area. And I remember we went down to visit them a few times. And on the way home, I, you know, you, kids listen to your parents on the way home. And they're like, I don't understand why they live down there in such a rough area. And then years later, after Carrie and I got married and we moved out and we lived, we moved to Payola out in the country and we had 80 acres and we're like, wow, this is great. Lived in the city all our life. I loved living out here. It's nice. And then we got thinking, man, I just can't believe we lived where we did growing up and we were living there and my mom and dad and Carrie's mom and dad were still living in the same area and they didn't realize it what they were living but we did because we had got out of it and yet since then both of them have come out of that and uh, come out of that area but my point is these people were living there and they didn't realize just how bad the situation was Here you got Nehemiah coming in and he's like, he's a complete outsider and he comes in and he's looking at it and it's like, he's kind of like saying, I don't understand how you guys can live like this, guys. But yet in the same token, he's saying, hey, I'm here to help you fix it. So what do you think of a guy like that? You know, it'd be like somebody coming over to your house and goes, man, your house is a mess. Well, thank you for telling me that and come over here and let me smack you around. <laughs> I mean, that's the attitude, right? But what if somebody came over and he goes, "But you know, I, you know, why don't I come over and help do some painting and or fix that door or do this or help you do this?" And I'm going to help you out. Okay, well, hey, okay, you know, that's who Nehemiah was. So, so he gets there and he his pronouncement was to, and it's to um, the leaders. It's to the Jews, it's to the priests, it's to the nobles, it's to the rulers. And who's the last group that he says he talks to? you got to go back and look at the passage. And I'll see if I can find it. Um, verse 16. What group am I not saying? No. Um the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the rulers. It's on your handout. The workers. Okay, I should have left that a blank. The workers. You notice he includes the workers in the group. That's pretty smart on Nehemiah's part. Because he needed some workers. Yeah. Now, 
because most of the time, you know, the priests, maybe they're not the ones that get their hands dirty. But yet, I think we'll find them working on the wall and doing things also. But I, I just noticed that he includes the workers in this group. He just didn't include the upper group. He included everybody. Okay. So again, he's he, he's doing what I when I look at him, I'm like, you want to do and see what a leader does? Look at Nehemiah. He includes everybody in the list. And so again, he says, do you see the condition things are in? Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates are burned up. But notice he doesn't dwell on it or ask why. He just said, let us build. That goes in your blank. Let us build under C, the wall of Jerusalem, so we are not a reproach. And then at that point, Nehemiah tells them his story. He tells them how God, he had heard from his brother Hanani and that the God just put it on his heart to help the situation out and to get letters from the king and talk to the king and get permission to come back. And he's just selling the story basically what he's doing, but he's selling the story by telling them the truth. Okay, He tells them a story how God had instructed the work and the people grabbed what he, what he was laying down. They picked up what he was putting down. I, I think that's what Brian says, isn't it? I'm, I'm glad you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, same way with Nehemiah. And so, number four, the people's response. Well, I'm glad they didn't just jump off the deep end when he told them they were living in a mess. Okay. Because <laughs> they go, let us rise up and build. And they were strengthened. And what do you think strengthened them? Well, not only do we have this guy from out of town coming in here and telling us what's going on and wants to help us, what do you think strengthened them the most? You got, you can't sleep in my class. You have to give it me answers. Okay. Um, but you think it was the fact that he told them why he was there and what God had done and they probably realized, hey, this dude, not only does he have our best intentions in mind, but he, what he's laid out is, I think the Lord's behind this. Mm-hmm. So, number one, I think they're probably excited. They've got a guy that came in who has a plan. But more importantly, God's in the plan. He's got authority, too. He has authority from the king. Right. And, you know, Ezra with the group before that, you know, they had authority by the king. And then some of these guys came in and, and thwarted the plan and stopped them from the building process and they had to go through a big process to get permission from the king again to get started. Mm-hmm. I personally like that story under Ezra and I'm kind of like, I I think I'd have just said, too bad, thumb my nose up at the king and then second thing came in, go, hey, we got permission from the king. It's right here. Here's the ladder. You guys can go pound sand. We're going to keep building. That's probably what they should have done, but they didn't. But again... When you're standing there and there's a whole army in front of you telling you you're going to stop, <laughs> I give the, the Jewish people leeway. That was under Ezra. That's getting in a different book. But I keep going back and looking at that and I'm like, why did they stop? And it's like when, when Ezra gets there and, and, and they start rebuilding again, I think they, they realize, number one, a lot like Nehemiah, well, we got a leader. God's behind him. Let's get this thing going. But that's a different book. But, so he, uh, so what I wrote down here is, you know, a leader is someone, you want a definition of a leader? A leader is someone that people will follow. 
You know, you may not have to be the most polished speaker. You don't have to be the the tallest guy, the guy with most hair, the fanciest car. I mean, all the stuff together for somebody to be a leader. Of course, that's what most people think a leader is. A leader is a guy that's that's on a mission from God. I'm sounding like Blues Brothers now. I'm sorry. He's on a mission from God, and and people know that God's behind him, and they'll follow him. Okay. So, for what that's worth. Okay, page number two. Nehemiah, the Jerusalem Project. I just like that. I always wanted to teach Nehemiah and what really was a better term for the title. The Jerusalem Project. Okay. And yet, in essence, you could probably put your name down as being the Bob. I could put my name there, the Bob Project. How do you build up Bob? Kind of go through the same circumstances of this. And we'll get into that later in, in, as we go through Nehemiah, that Nehemiah is a really good example of how we build up our walk with the Lord, how churches are built correctly according to the Bible, according to the pattern that we see in Nehemiah. So, uh, number five on the back side of your page, we have the enemy's attack, verse 19. So let's read that. It says, but, there's that but again. When you see those buts in the Bible... Hold on to yours. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian... Oh, wait a minute. we got another guy now. Did you notice that? The first two guys are mentioned earlier in the chapter, but now we have a different guy, and he's what? He's an Arabian. Okay. Heard it. What did they hear? That he was back in town or that Nehemiah was there? No, they heard his proclamation, what he said to everybody. When that became known, when they heard the plan to start rebuilding, when they heard that, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? And so we're going to see six things that these guys do. Number one, we've already seen earlier in the chapter, it grieved them to know that a group came from the king. And number, and here we're going to see that your first blank is that they laughed at them. Point A. Point B is they despised them. And point C is they accused them. So let me, let me give you, uh, I think it's probably there on your sheet. Um, under C it says they believed, they started accusing them. So let's look back and see what that says in verse 19. They go, will ye rebel against the king? So basically their, their insult was, you guys are building the walls up to go back to where you used to be because you're rebelling against the king. They're accusing them of something that they're not doing. Okay? And so what was the whole reason that the Jews were carried off to Babylon? Was it because they disobeyed Babylon or they disobeyed God? They wasn't in Babylon because they didn't just bow down and worship at the very beginning when, when the kings came in and said, hey, and wanted to destroy them. The reason that the, the Persians and the Babylonians were able to destroy Israel and carry them away captive was because Israel had already rejected God. Mm-hmm. And then God allowed it. But these guys have the wrong attitude. They're like, well, the reason you guys were carried into Babylon is because you guys just didn't bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar when he came into town the first time. Mm-hmm. Wrong, wrong uh, idea, wrong thinking. Uh, so they've got the wrong reason. 
that the Jews had been defeated in the first place. So I'm going to go back and look at these these three guys. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the servant the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian. So I had to do a little work on who these guys are. Okay, And so... Uh, Sanballat the Hornites. Well, the Hornites were from the Moabites, which are from the Termites. No, I mean, it all fits the same group. I think of that all the time. These groups are like Termites. Uh, the Hornites, there's not a whole lot said about them in the Bible, but they are from the Moabites. Well, do you guys remember who the Moabites are? They're an enemy of God's people, always have been. They originally were founded or came from Lot in his uh, relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. one of those sons, be- descendants, be- became the Moabites, and they were always enemies of God. Okay? Um, in fact, you got your Bible there, and we got just a few minutes before we wrap up. I've been told I need to uh, finish up earlier. What's that? Yes, yeah, she is. Uh, go to Genesis 19. Genesis chapter 19. And I'm going to try to wrap up really quick. Because I've been told you guys can't get a good seat out in front. Okay, Genesis 19 verses 35 through 38. I've got to get there. It says, They made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. Now we're talking about Lot and his daughters. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Man, you talk about sick, you know. Verse 37, And the firstborn bare a son, and called his name, what? Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites until this day. And the younger, she also bare a son, and called his name Benami. I don't know if that's correct, but the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Well, wait a minute. Tobiah the servant says back in Nehemiah calls him an Ammonite. So we have a, we have a Moabite and an Ammonite both in Sanballat and Tobiah. They are from that relationship that Lot had with his daughters and they are from a group of people that have always been the enemies of Israel. Okay? The Bible also calls Sanballat an alien. Now, when I think of alien, I'm thinking like outer space alien, right? Basically a foreigner. Okay? Calls Sanballat a foreigner. God's Word calls the Moabites foreigners. Okay? Keep that in the back of your mind. And so, the first two guys we know are from Moab and... uh and Ammon. So, we're going to look at this guy called Geshem the Arabian. And I got a bunch of verses to look at, and I, I just don't want to go through all of them. But if you're taking notes, Second uh, Chronicles 21.16, Second Chronicles 22.1, chapters 26, 7, and 8, Isaiah chapter 13, 19 through 20, and Jeremiah chapter 3, 1 and 2. So let's go to Jeremiah 3, 1 and 2. I don't know why I'm picking that one, but let's go look at it. Every one of these are talking about an Arab. 
And I think we'll find out every time we see the Arabs in the Bible, they are also against God's people. So Jeremiah chapter 3. And I'm going to have somebody read 1 and 2. They say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lean with. In the in the ways hath thou set <coughs> set from the, for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Okay, so in this example, God is talking to the nation of Israel, and He says, and He's He's basically likening them to a wife, and He says, basically, you're a whore because you have stepped out on me. And you have committed adultery with me with all these uh, false nations and false gods. And then in the middle of that, an Arabian pops up in the middle of that. So he's connecting an Arabian to a person who is like Israel when they step out on God. Okay, do so you see that? And so every time we see Arabians in the Bible, they're in a bad connotation. They, they're always against Israel. They are an enemy of Israel. Okay? And so what we see with Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, we see a mix of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Arabians. And if we go back and study a little farther, there are some half-breed Persians in this mix. Because when they pulled... Uh, the Israelis, the Jewish people out of, out of Israel and out of Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. They brought, and, and to Persia, they brought some of the people that was back from Persia and Babylon back to Israel to fill the spot that they left, to fill the gaps in the land. And so a lot of the Samaritans were half-breeds that we know in the Bible. And so these guys are, are kind of connected with all these guys and yet they're connected with some half-bloods out of out of Persia. What is modern day Persia today? No? Iran. Do you see a connection coming here? So basically, you know what we would call these three men today? Palestinians. Palestinians. Let me read this and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up there. I got I think all the blanks are that no, you got one more blank. So well, let me go through this real quick. So, that's who these people are. Nehemiah's response, verse 20. And he, he is always ready with a response. God will prosper us. We, his servants, will arise and build. But you guys, you three men, have no portion or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So, Nehemiah was on a mission from God and he was focused on getting the plan accomplished. Accomplished goes in your last blank. Okay? So, like like it was then, it's the same way as today. Israel still has enemies, and guess what? They're still the same guys. They're the same guys. Let me read a little bit about this. You know, that there are two types of Arabians, I noticed. Uh, one is the Saudi Arabians, and the other one is called the, Jan- the Transjordan Arabians. Now, the Transjordan means the ones on the other side of the Jordan River, which we would call Israel today. 
two types of Arabians the Bible talks about. Okay? So at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Ammonites and the West Bank Muslims in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, they were half-breed Persians. And there was no Palestinians that ever lived in Palestine. Palestine was never a state and never had a capital in 6,000 years of history. Except when. The only time there was a capital in the land of Israel, which you know a lot of people want to call Palestine, the Levant, I don't care what you call it. The only time there was ever a capital there and a king there, it was when Israel was there. Under Solomon and David. Okay, So every city in Palestine had its own king, Joshua chapter 12. And from Noah's time until 1500 B.C. when the Romans took it, it was Roman. It was never Muslim or Arabian. And when the Muslims got it, it was just one more subdued colony with no capital. And so when the British took it from the Turks, that took place in World War I. I think Carrie and I just, I like to watch documentaries. I just watched a documentary in World War I where it was England and it was France, and they got together in World War One, and they decided, hey, let's divide up the spoil of the war before it's over. And the reason was, they went back to the, to the Turks. The Turks had the Ottoman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire was Turkey, Constantinople, uh, Israel, Syria, all that. It was all Turkish ran. Well, they were fighting the Turks in World War One because the Turks lined up with, with uh, the Kaiser. And so they were going to divide the land up. So they went to all the subjects that was under the Turks, all the different little Muslim groups, and said, hey, if you fight with us against the Kaiser, against Germany, when the war's over, we'll give you your independence. Well, they also told that to the Jews. And then when the war was over, they started, they started taking back their promises. <laughs> Because it was a whole bag of worms, a whole can of worms that they got themselves into. They promised everybody independence if they would just help them. Well, they ended up owning the land. Britain and France ended up splitting the land up, but then they started going back and telling the people, no, we're in charge, but you're still under us. Well, that didn't sit real well. So let me, let me keep moving. So when the British took it from the Turks, it was British, again, with no state and no capital. And when the, the Jews returned to their own homeland in 1948, Palestine was not a state. It had never been a state. There was no culture, no religion by any Arabian Islam. It had no official language, no political leaders, and no capital. It was just a group of nomads that was living in the land that called themselves Palestinians, and they wasn't Palestinian, they're basically Arabs, okay? Just like it was before, before Moses. Yes. The yeah. And so the, um, um, it wasn't until, until Israel became a nation again that you started hearing the term Palestinian. So I'm going to stop there because I said I would stop early and I'm not. But I have some more info I could give you on that. So what you see today, it's the same people causing Israel the problems that caused the people problems with Nehemiah. Is that not interesting? Yeah, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the truths in your word, Lord, and help us just to see, uh, who Israel's enemies are. Uh, we're not to be their enemies, but yet they have enemies, and, and Lord, just help us to be aware of that, and help us to, to give our, our support to, to your people, which are the Israeli, uh, Jewish people, Lord. So I pray we would do that as a country. 
pray that we would do that as a church. And I just pray we would give them our support because they are your people. So uh, I pray for that today. Help us to see the things that go around us. And Lord, just help us to have an answer to answer questions from people around us that, that may ask us biblical questions or you know what's going on in the world. And then help us to, uh, number one, uh, give be able to give them an answer, but yet put it all back to Christ, that they need Christ as their Savior. So in Christ's name I pray today. Amen. Amen. All right. Sorry, I'm still going over. I've been already seeing people.